And good morning once again. It is now 9 a.m. precisely on this Wednesday, the 9th of September. And welcome to Community Pulse, your live locally produced program on the coronavirus pandemic here in mid-Missouri. You can catch Community Pulse Mondays and Wednesdays now from 9 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. That's live. We upload the episodes to our website, our Facebook profile, and you can also find them on Spotify uh, and on Apple Podcasts as well. Today on the program, this being a Wednesday, we're so very pleased to welcome back host Ginny Chadwick, a local public health advocate, and she will be speaking with Karina Koji. She is a Columbia parent and also a local COVID activist with her very own Facebook group. The two ladies will today be discussing a White House report, as a matter of fact, on red zones in the United States with some interesting news about Missouri itself. Ladies, good morning to you both. Good morning, and thank you. Good morning. Yeah, thank you for joining us. So as COVID brings us together, um, you know, Karina, I didn't know you before the pandemic. And um, with social media, I think that it's just so cool that, you know, people have connected in ways that we wouldn't have before. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I love that. That's definitely a silver lining. Yeah. So to look at the numbers, and I'm sure both you and I follow closely Matthew Holloway and his data, Mm -hmm. but today he reports that we've had um, just shy of 100,000 cases of COVID-19 identified in the state of Missouri. So we're at 97,990 with about 1,200 new cases identified um, yesterday. Um, We are we are still trending pretty high, so about 1,300 average daily cases. Um, yesterday was a low day, and as he notes in his commentary, he, he said after a holiday, we normally see a two- to three-day delay before communities catch up on reporting cases. Um, we know here in, in Boone County, our testing sites at Boone Hospital were closed on, on Labor Day and the Sunday um, right before, and that MU Healthcare had a very reduced hour um, for for Monday for Labor Day. Our positive right. rate at yeah, our positive rate as um, a state is at thirteen point five percent, so still very high. Yesterday yeah. we identified seventeen deaths in the state of Missouri, so we're at eighteen hundred and fifteen deaths, and we're averaging about fourteen deaths day um, in Missouri. So when we look at Boone County, um, we had a relatively low day yesterday, and that's really good Mm -hmm. news. Um, We had 51 cases identified, and um, so now we have 3,536 cases, and hospital rates are reported to be increasing overall for how many COVID patients we have in the hospital. Boone County is staying stable right now at 13 Boone County citizens, but that is a highest um, rate that we have had. So it it equals the highest number that we've had of Boone County residents in the hospital. So as we, you know, converse back and forth on social media, I know that we've had a lot of um, thoughts and concerns about um, the way that we are regulating things and what's open and what's not, and how school is going. And when we look at Columbia, Missouri, the New York Times is now reporting um, the metro areas with the worst outbreaks nationally. And they're looking at the, um, the, 
the greatest number of cases over the past two weeks. And for the last week, Columbia, Missouri has trended in the top 10 in the nation. And I think that many of us going, yeah, many (laughs) of us going into this pandemic thought, okay, we, you know, we're progressive community in Missouri. We are going to be proactive about um, containing this virus. So Give me a little bit of your thoughts on us being in that top 10 and, and, and what you've seen over this time. Well, first of all, um, I've never not wanted to be on a top 10 list more. <laughs> it's definitely the worst, the worst top 10 list ever. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty shocking for me personally to, to see us kind of, you know, our meteoric rise. Um, to get on that list, and it, it's very sobering. I, I think it's it at this point very very difficult. You'd have to work pretty hard to hold on to that thought that coronavirus is not, you know, a serious issue and that it isn't widespread in our community. Um, I think the facts and the numbers that you you know that you just so carefully quoted are it's just factual evidence. It's it's very hard to ignore. It's pretty pretty sobering for sure. Yeah. So before we popped on this call, you told me, which mm-hmm. I didn't even realize, that you mm-hmm. have a Facebook page. So tell us a little bit about um the Columbia um for COVID Facebook page. Sure, I'd love to. Um it's a Facebook group. So just a little bit different from a page. I mean, sort of the same purpose. It's just a little bit more interactive and community-based. Um, we, my my friend Jessica Christian and I, we started Columbia Against Corona back in early April. We had been helping out with another local Facebook group that mm-hmm. decided it wasn't going to kind of stick with you know, the factual information and, and just be a coronavirus resource. So we were like, well, there's nothing like that here. So let's start one, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is usually kind of how I get going on something. I look around, I go, oh, we don't have that. <laughs> we should have it. So it started out, I mean, we're still doing the same thing. It's meant to be a local community resource group. So it's a great place to come if you don't really know where to go or what to do. So you come to us and and we kind of are, we're a little bit of a hub for stuff like that. And we also provide actual reputable vetted information about coronavirus, which we all know can be tricky to come by. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff out there that's not accurate. and, And so when you come to our group, you can rest assured that, you know, myself, Jessica, Armand, we've all looked at everything that's being posted in there and we've researched it and we've made sure that it's reputable. And it, I, I like that it helps keep people out of overwhelm. This is a very overwhelming time and mm-hmm. digging around, trying to find numbers and trying to find resources and, and do research that can be really, really hard and and can really stress people out. So being part of this Facebook group is like, you know, we're a community, we're supportive, but we're also really committed to facts and that can be a load off people's minds and can be really helpful for them. For those of you who are looking for it, it's Columbia Against 
Corona. And it yeah. is a, a private group, but you can request membership mm-hmm. and you get mm-hmm. approved pretty quickly because I just did it this morning. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we were a public group um, for several months, but we started having numbers just saying, hey, you know, it might be good to take it private. People might feel better about interacting and posting. Mm-hmm. You know, so we, we did that. You can still find us. You just can't you know, read the posts and see who the members are, unless you are a member yourself. Right. And as we all know, getting accurate information can be challenging right now. And, you know, sadly, we see that, um, you know, community members across the country are trusting media less and less. And so somewhere Mm -hmm. to turn to that, you know, is, is a locally hosted group. So I do want to note, as we see the numbers increasing, um, and there's been a lot of concern about access to testing and we we've heard the college students say, well, we can't get access. So um, the Boone County health department is promoting the Missouri department of health and senior services is having a free COVID testing day. And so no symptoms required. Um, Mm -hmm. No, you do have to register and sign up to make an appointment. um, And I will send the, the link um, for us to post on the KOPM website, but it is on the Boone County Health Department um, social media page, and it is on uh, September the 14th and 15th, so next week Mm -hmm. on Monday and Tuesday, from noon to 7 at the Crossing Church parking lot. So anybody in Boone County, um, and in fact, anybody in the state of Missouri, you don't even have to be a Boone County resident, anybody in the state of Missouri can go to the Crossing Church. You do have to register. Registration is open. Um, They are hosting, the uh, state health department is hosting one, two, three, four, five, six counties. So Nottaway, Rawls, St. Charles, Madison, and Perry are all hosting in that same week, not the same day, but the same week, they're all hosting free testing. And obviously we chose those counties because we see um, wide community spread. And, and when we talk about like our, our positive rates. So give me a little bit about what you're seeing for schooling. Cause I know you are doing an alternative option, but I'm guessing mm-hmm. that you are a past Columbia public school parent. Yes. Yes, I am. Um, I have an older son who graduated from high school last May. And then I have a second grader. So yes, I've been I've been part of the CPS community for a really long time. And so you know, one of the things so CPS started yesterday, um, and I have a daughter who's a senior at Hickman, um, and so awesome. she started her yeah senior year online yesterday. So I I think that we hear in the community a lot about the barriers that parents faced and the technological challenges of yesterday. What are some of the things that you heard or saw or experienced? Well, I think what's really been bothering me is that the virtual curriculum, just by its design, just by its nature, is it can't be made fully equitable and it can't be made fully accessible. Um, and I understand that we have some limited options. We're kind of choosing from a, from an array of sort of not great choices. Um, and I am glad mm-hmm. to see that CPS is working really hard to try and provide 
educational opportunities to Columbia kids. But yeah, I mean, there are a ton of design flaws and, and there's a lot of things that I have trouble with. Um, personally, my family was not able to access the virtual curriculum due to a number of situations, mostly relating to not having access to reliable high-speed internet, um, which is a prerequisite. You just you just can't do the curriculum without that. And the truth is that there are thousands of Columbia families that do not have access to reliable high-speed internet. So that's yeah, pretty... I think even some of our faculty staff at Columbia Public School, I know um, my daughter is in a chemistry class and um, the, you know, the Rockbridge High School chemistry teacher at the same time as she was taking chemistry, who she has a friend in the class said, oh, the teacher just left the room, not on purpose, but her internet went out, right? And so um, she was absent from the classroom for about 20 minutes. And so, you know, that, it, you know, for all of us in Columbia, and I think especially as the demand yesterday was extensive, I saw many yeah. people post, you know, my media comm went down or, mm-hmm. um, and well, these are all glitches at the, right, yeah. Um, and, you know, things that we, I live in a 600 square foot house. There's three of us here. So yesterday mm-hmm. when we were all on a Zoom call, right, that was very mm-hmm. hard. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and just the expectation that, you know, a parent who's working from home, if they're lucky enough to be able to do that, is going to be heavily, heavily using the Internet probably all day including live streaming and and Zoom. And then on top of that, you have one, two, four kids, you know, depending on your family size, who are all doing the same thing. Um, And you all need to be somehow separate from each other (laughs) and not in each other's Zoom background and not talking over each other. And, I mean, it's it's a logistical nightmare. So I feel you on that. That's just... I'm really impressed that anybody's able to make that work. Yeah. So Columbia Public Schools is doing their meal service. So if if, if folks yeah. in the community um, mm-hmm. need that, they have yeah, pickup. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that because that's really yeah. cool. Yeah, go for it. D- tell us okay. what you know and then I'll... Okay. Yeah, we can kind of, you know, chime in on each other. Um, so there's this really great lunch, it's actually a breakfast and lunch program that CPS is offering to all Columbia kids. So it is not just for Columbia public school kids, it's all kids ages like 2 to 18, I believe. And Mm -hmm. what's happening is that they have meal buses, which are just school buses, that come to different neighborhoods at specific times. They have scheduled stops. And they have designated what CPS identifies as the the, the most at-risk, low-income kind of neighborhoods in Columbia. So they're, they're coming right to that neighborhood on purpose, which is super cool. Um, and so what they do is they come in, they stop for 15 minutes, and they have grab-and-go snack lunches, which also includes breakfast. And you just show up. You say how many kids you have, how many meals you need. It's nearly contactless. It's very convenient. Um, And then you've got that resource. And 
part of what I'm, the reason why I'm wanting to talk that up is because, I mean, a ton of families don't even know this, this program exists, or they think it's just for kids who are on the free lunch, or, you know, there's a lot of misinformation about it. I don't feel that it's really being properly promoted, so I'm really glad we get a chance to talk about it. It's, it, could, it could be immensely, immensely helpful for a ton of people, just that, that little bit of support. Um, and then part of what I've been noticing is that even for folks who know about it, they may not be able to get to the bus at that specific time. Um, there might be teens who are home alone doing the virtual curriculum and they're actively in a Zoom class at that time, so mm-hmm. they can't run out, run out to get that meal. Um, we have, you know, plenty of folks who are physically disabled and can't sit down to the meal bus and, and things like that. So we do have quite a few people who are sort of falling through the cracks on that program. And what I've been trying to find out is exactly what CPS can do to support those folks. They do have some options. Um, they've said that they are perfectly willing to prepare five days worth of breakfast and lunches and have, you know, whoever can make it out to their district school come pick those up once a week, which I think is wonderful. That's mm-hmm. super awesome. And then they also have said that, you know, if neighborhoods wanted to organize and just sort of send one or two people to pick up meals for the entire neighborhood and then distribute them, that they support that as well. So there's, there's lots of options to get access to that resource. And a lot of it is just about, you know, being creative and kind of hacking that system, you know, and and stuff like that. Um, I did speak with my son's former grade school, Elliott Battle Elementary, and they were very helpful. They said that if you just can't get to the school, you can't get to the bus to contact them, and they will arrange to have these meals brought to your home, which is really, really kind and really, really awesome of them. Yeah, CPS is going above and beyond in certain ways, Mm -hmm. and this is one of them. And so for the community listeners, if you go to cpsk12.org and on their fall 2020 reopening, um, they have a lot of different resources, but this falls under the fall 2020 grab-and-go meals and Mm -hmm. listed in alphabetical order by school, you will find the route and the time that they will be there. And as you mentioned, they start at 9 a.m. and they deliver to most of the school region, you know, the areas um, between 11 and 12. And so from 9 to 12, as we know, our students are actually in Zoom classes during that time. So um, it is, yeah, potentially a challenge because you don't know what class, you know, you might have your... (laughs) As my daughter has during, you know, the time that I'm looking at it stopping in my neighborhood, you know, she's on a, um, oh, so for high schools, you pick it up at the high school, but um, I was looking at the elementary that we, we are mm-hmm. a part of, you know, she's in, you know, a calculus class during that time. So that would be challenging for her to, to, to pop away from if she's right. picking it up at the location. Yeah. So. And if you're assisting, you know, one or more of your own children with, you know, being on a, in a Zoom class or, or helping them with lessons or stuff like that, the, the chances of you being able to just kind of run out and go to the school bus is tricky. And, and some of these stops are not near where the folks who really need to take advantage of the program are, you know, or a walk or um, it's in an area that doesn't have sidewalks or it's 
near a busy street. So, I mean, there's lots of kinks <laughs> in it, you know, that I, I suspect will get worked out. But, I mean, you know, we need to be the folks that are, that are working that out. I mean, you know, we're the ones who need that resource. And, and we just got to, you know, look at that and work together to try to make that really accessible to people. Yeah. And as you said, the school has been um, willing to work hard to make sure that the mm-hmm. kids have access to mm-hmm. that. So as we talk about the Columbia Public School, I just want to state the 14-day um, average rate per 10,000 right now is at 90. Um, so oh. we know, yeah, I know, heart sink, right? Um, so, you know, August 15th, we were at 20. Mm-hmm. Um, our community has been going up and up. Um we see a little bit of a dip for that Labor Day weekend. So our high has now been 91.4, and we dropped down to 90. But we need to be below 50 to have the hybrid two-day and below 10 to have any in-person school. And so we huh. think and talk about what are we doing as a community to make sure that we are proactive and putting restrictions in place so that um, we don't spread the virus. So... I have a daughter who's also in college at MU. She's a sophomore. Um, she has a dorm room. She has yet to sleep in. Um, she does not feel safe yet there, but MU right. did tighten their mask rules. So um, there was an article in the Tribune. We received emails as parents um, that now students are required to wear a mask at all times inside or outside on MU property. So... <clears throat> You know, I, the University of Misery, M-I-S-E-R-Y, is a um, Twitter yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. account, in case you guys haven't been following it. But, you know, they have definitely been critical of the process that MU has taken. And, and I think that there's mm-hmm. true concern, right? So MU is, is isolating students who test positive. They have, um, for those who are on campus, they have some dorms that they have isolated students and they also have reserved hotels. Mm -hmm. Where the gap lies is that if a student is living off campus, that's not necessarily a case that they are fully (laughs) um, providing services for. And, yeah, there's been some criticism that, you know, the university has not been providing meals in a timely manner to these students or who they are isolating mm-hmm. in the hotel yeah. rooms and in the dorms. Social media has so, a lot of stories from these students about not being brought meals and being put in dirty motel rooms that, you know, they don't feel are very secure. And, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on that concerns me about Mizzou's response. Um, I tend to feel that a lot of their measures are what I call um, sort of pandemic theater, (laughs) Um, for lack of a better term, where they're saying things like, oh, you have to wear a mask all the time, no matter what you're doing, Um, you know, and they have stickers on the ground on campus reminding you to distance and they have a social media campaign they spent over 10K on, for example. I mean, there's just, there's a lot going on that I don't feel is very practical and that is very kind of like surface. And then the things that really would help, I feel like maybe is not really focusing on a lot. 
Yeah, and when we talk about the things that would help, I want to bring up the Center for Public Integrity has released reports, um, and they're the White House Secret Coronavirus Red Zone reports. Is, is, um, and when we look at those reports, so I first found out about them um, probably mid-August, maybe a little bit later, and they just released a new one on August the 30th, and they do it by state. And again, this is the coronavirus, the, the select subcommittee for the coronavirus crisis by the White House. So we know that we have a White House that has not been proactive at putting policy in place. But they do a report for individual states, and they have made clear in the August 30th report that Missouri is a red zone. And that means that we have over 100 new cases per 100,000 people. And that because of that, they make clear recommendations on what should be done in the state of Missouri and in college and university towns. And they specifically state bars must be closed Indoor yeah. dining must be restricted uh, yes. to 25% in red zones, which Boone County is now a red zone, and expand outdoor eating options. Community spread must be decreased to protect vulnerable populations in nursing homes. So university towns need a comprehensive plan that scales immediately for testing all returning students with routine surveillance testing, immediately identifying new cases and outbreaks, um, and isolation and quarantine. So we know that the mm-hmm. University of Missouri, Columbia, did not test all incoming students, and they oh, don't no. have mm-hmm. an ongoing plan for testing yeah. and surveillance. Um, yeah. As a matter of fact, many students are expressing that they aren't able to get access to a test, even if they want one. Um, so that's very concerning. I agree with you. But I'm not sure what is going on there. <laughs> Sorry, go right ahead. I I just needed to interject that for a moment. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, so I I mean mainly I, I as we're going to share on the Facebook page, I wanted um, the listeners, I know the Tribune has reported on this as well as the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Um, I'm sure the Kansas City Star has. I have not seen the article. But just making clear that the White House Coronavirus Task Force has put out a summary specifically for Missouri. They've published these reports almost weekly for mm-hmm. since June, but they didn't come public um, until the Center for Integrity had um highlighted that they existed and um, the Center for Public Integrity um, and had made public these reports. And so if you go on the link that we're sharing on our Facebook page and you scroll down to about the mid section of the article, there's a red zone report and you have to scroll a couple of pages to get to the M's for Missouri. And you can download each of the different reports that exist for Missouri over the time that they've published them. So you see, um, the, the, the 830 report is on there, and it makes really clear. And this is where, you know, if the recommendations of the White House task force is so clear that this needs to be done, the question is why are we not doing it in our community? When it, it makes a clear statement, bars must be closed. There's no mincing of the words mm-hmm. there. And, in fact, they made that statement stronger from the previous week's report. And so, you know, I, I have emailed the city council to ask them. I know that most of the discretion on what we do has been left up to the director of our health department. 
And we have closed bars earlier now, so they now stop mm-hmm. serving at nine. And That's progress. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it not is. enough um, I also ask the Coronavirus Task Force at the University of Missouri why they chose not to um, test all students as they returned. And, you know, the response that I got back from a member who is a pathologist on the committee indicated that um, that the White House Task Force recommendations do not make sense for the University of Missouri, which I thought was a very mm. interesting response. <laughs> yep. um, That's a good word. Interesting. Uh, that they didn't have the resources or the capacity to test that many students, that it would be financially prohibited and that well, the laboratory you, wouldn't have capacity. Then you don't, you have no business having in-person schooling if you can't test every student. That's bottom line. You should All not right, be conducting well, <laughs> classes if you can't test everyone. <laughs> Well, well our half hour flies by fast, but I think that that's oh, yes, the first way to end this. <laughs> um, yeah. So, any last thoughts before we finish up? Gosh, I have so many. Um, really, my the biggest thing that I just want to get across is that just because we don't have a statewide mask mandate, or just because Mizzou is making the choices that it's making, or just because the bars aren't closed officially doesn't mean that we as individuals can't mask up or demand access to testing or stay out of public restaurants and bars ourselves. We don't have to wait for our legislators and our lawmakers to do that. We can do that now. We can do that yesterday, as a matter of fact. I mean, and and this is so important, I can't get that point across enough, that we can immediately step into action and we can take responsibility as individuals and we can do what we would really like to see our government and our organizations do. We can do that now. And to me, that is probably the single most important thing that I can say about that. Just start now. Model the behavior we want. Thank you so much for joining me today, Karina, and back to you in the studio, Peter. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much, Karina. We appreciate you being here as well. Uh, If you happen to be just joining us, uh, that was uh, Karina Koji. She is a Columbia parent and a local COVID um, activist with her own Facebook group. And she was being interviewed by Ginny Chadwick, our resident public health advocate here on Community Pulse. We thank them both for joining us. And we also thank you, the listener, of course, for tuning in. A reminder of our production schedule, revised since a couple of weeks now. We come to you live from the downtown KOPN studios Mondays and Wednesdays from 9 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. All of our episodes are then uploaded to the website, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and our Facebook profile. Uh, apropos the, uh, the, the Facebook profile, we will be uploading a link to the White House Task Force report that the ladies were discussing. Coming up next, we have 51%. Next time that Community Pulse will be coming to you live will be Monday at 9 a.m. with Dr. Elizabeth Alleman and Mallory Daly. Until then, thank you so much for tuning in. Please stay safe, stay informed, and don't forget to cultivate a cheerful confidence that your body has the ability to fight infection. Pleasant weekend to you, Columbia. We'll talk to you next time.